There are some things that are too good to keep a secret. Like how your Amex Platinum card helps you have the perfect trip. I'd like to check into the Centurion Lounge. Or how it seems like you always get those hard-to-snag tables. Ooh, yum. And how you get the most out of select can't-miss events. With access to the Centurion Lounge, Resi Priority Notified, and Amex card member benefits at select events, you'll have to share. That's the powerful backing of American Express. Terms apply. Learn more at americanexpress.com slash with Amex. Welcome to the Varsity Club Podcast. Derek here and joining me today, Brandon Vogel. We're going to talk some quarterbacks. Brandon, how are you? I'm doing well, thank you. What was your main takeaway from from Scott's time at the podium? He talked Friday morning after Nebraska's second scrimmage of fall camp, and he kind of ran through a, a myriad of topics. He talked special teams, quarterbacks, defense, running game. Um, what was kind of the the main takeaway for you from listening to Scott Friday morning? Um, you know, so the quarterback race, I guess, was was of course the the biggest and most easily easily digestible news. I think the the interesting thing. Um, beyond that was sort of his description of what the quarterback needs to do in this offense, given how the rest of the offense has filled in or is currently filling in around it. And I know, you know, we can, we can get into that, uh, pretty deep, but when you look at if the race is as neck and neck as it seems, and you know, there's no reason to think that it isn't, um, you might come down to the, the ultimate decision for this, whoever the quarterback may be of, well, what does this offense need the most? And it seems like Frost has a pretty clear idea of that. And, and then who's the best it, best able to to achieve those goals? And I think that's the part they're kind of still sorting out. Okay, so we'll get into um, – there's there's kind of one thing that, that I keep kind of thinking about or that I have been thinking about a lot over the last couple of days, but I want to get into something that you just said, and, and that's what does this offense need the most? What do you think they need? Yeah, I mean, I think – Across college football, there there are varying degrees to which you kind of need that playmaking gene in a, in a quarterback. Um, if you're a, it's funny earlier today, uh, Alabama A and M replay from from 2012 was on, and that was a good A and M team. But like Johnny Manziel, of course, everyone remembers that game was just going crazy. He was making so many plays, and and sometimes you need that. What Frost kind of alluded to today was, hey, we have weapons. Um, which is sort of interesting in its own way. Uh, we have that weapons on this offense, so we need a quarterback, not a caretaker. They're going to be asked to do more than that. The decision-making hurdle is, is high here, but if you can avoid turnovers and you can make the right decision most of the time, I think that's who's going to be Nebraska's quarterback in 2018, whoever that is. Okay, so that's an interesting point because have, you've seen Jurassic Park, yes? Yes. I'm assuming. Okay. So one of like the greatest lines in movie history was Jeff Goldblum, obviously, you know, you were so concerned with whether you could that you didn't think about whether you should. I kind of have a variation of that. And it's, you know, we've been so concerned with who specifically the quarterback is going to be, like which name, which guy. Does it matter who it is? Because if that's all that they're going to ask of the quarterback, if that's really what Scott is looking for in a quarterback is, is a, like one tier above a game manager. They just want a guy that can be efficient, that can make the right, the correct reads on time and not turn the ball over. Does it really matter who it is? Maybe not. Definitely not to the degree to which it gets talked about just because we don't know who it is yet. 
Um, you know, if you, I, don't, I, I might, I might have to walk this comparison back, but like, if you look at Marcus Mariota, obviously extraordinarily talented guy, physically gifted, um, could run the ball well, had a remarkable arm, um, that sometimes went overlooked just with how Oregon ran their offense. But like his key trait in that offense, like the reason he was a Heisman winner was he was so good. He was the ultimate fast blinker to, to use their term. I think that, that we've seen in this office offense to, to that point. So yeah, all that other stuff was great and allowed him to put up insane, insane numbers, but none of them were as insane as his interception total, um, which I don't remember offhand, but I think it was uh, just barely into double digits for a guy who played three seasons. So yeah, I think that does lend itself to, to what you're saying there. And I also think, uh, with Mario Verduzco's and then Frost's experience guiding and teaching quarterbacks, they can kind of bring guys up to a level that there shouldn't be a ton of drop off if you go from one to two. Yeah, I think Mar- I'm trying to remember Mariota's Heisman season. I think he had something outrageous like four and he set like a completion percentage mark that was a record at the time or something like that. Like the the quick the quick trigger um, is is really appearing to be kind of the most important thing that they're looking for with their quarterback, a guy that can just make decisions quickly. And I know for myself, um, Greg Smith and I have talked about this a lot. I mean, we we have said that it's going to be, that that we think the quarterback is going to be Adrian Martinez for months now. And over the last couple weeks or so, like my confidence in that is starting to shake a little bit. And and that really started with Scott, so I guess last week when Scott said that he wants Adrian to think faster, he wants Adrian to move faster when he's on the field. If if that is the biggest thing, does Tristan have as big of an edge in that regard as 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 people say he does? Because when we talk about Tristan and Adrian, the strengths and the weaknesses, the strength for Martinez is that he's a really good runner. But then with with Jebbia, everybody points to he's a quick decision maker and a really good passer. Yeah, I I, I think there probably there should be some sort of edge there for Jebbia, and it it's it's probably not huge. Um, you know, he he doesn't have game experience either. But what he does have is an entire season worth of of practice and just being able to see firsthand how fast the college game moves in general. And and maybe there's an advantage to Martinez in getting the whole thing at once. But not only does he have to make that adjustment, and you know he he was here in January, so he got a longer a longer adjustment period than your typical freshman. But he also then has to adjust to the tempo of the offense, which is really adjusting to, as you said, how quickly they're going to ask you to make decisions. So that's <laughs> that's a lot. It's it's the speed of the game plus the speed of the offense on top of it, uh, and all those things. So with Jebbia, he at least should have had he shouldn't have had to expend so much mental energy on. on on the first part of that. So if, if there's an edge there, I think that's where it comes. And with you, I, I have kind of started to think about this as like, maybe it is going to be Jebbia because, you know, what, we're, what I think we're, we've learned as we've heard Frost continue to talk about the position is that it is a mental position first, not physical. And the spring game, which is all we have really to go on in terms of lengthy time seeing any of these guys, uh, Martinez was impressive. He was impressive physically. Right. Um, are you? I want to kind of pivot topics a little bit here, but but not really. We're still going to talk about quarterbacks. Are you kind of burnt out on this conversation? 
Um, a little bit, because like you, I'm sort of arriving at the realizations that I think Nebraska is going to get. I don't think Nebraska's season is going to be totally determined by the level of quarterback play it gets. Now, every season is to to some degree, but I, I, I think they're going to they're going to be good enough. There is it going to be as good as it will be a couple years down the road? No, um, but they'll be they'll be good enough there. So, like you said, it, it, with it being this close, with there no sort of mitigating circumstances to to separate them, like like game experience, you know, it's it's kind of like I think they can go either way and, and be in pretty good shape. And I, I think you'll see both of those guys uh, for a while early these early this season, and that'll probably ultimately be what what maybe determines who's starting in, in October and November. And that's something that I was not expecting because when you talk to to Mario Verduzco, he says, I mean, his line is, "If you have two, you don't have one." And then you know, Scott was asked about using both quarterbacks, and and he led off his comment by saying, "Well, being a former quarterback, I never wanted to come out of the game." But then he also said that, that we've got two guys right now that if we played a game today, they would both deserve to play. And he just he he left the door open for them to to have sort of a, a quarterback rotation or a timeshare. And I, I mean, that's just so surprising to me because I was not expecting that to be the case this season. I don't like alternating quarterbacks. I don't think it's beneficial to to either the offense or the quarterback. But I, I mean, I, I'm shocked that, that we have arrived at this point. But maybe that's because they just have two really good quarterbacks and it's just that hard to, to separate them. What do you think? Well, yeah, it, it, it could be that. And that would be sort of, while it wouldn't be my preference either, um, and, and I don't think it would be the preference for a year one for anyone. Like, if, if you've got two guys, you, you kind of want to get started with one. Like, okay, here's here's what we're doing. You know, we, we might take our lumps, but we've, we've got a young guy we're going to go for the future. Well, they're both young. Um, so, so what do you do there? It's just every way you look to like sort of the classic ways you would separate this. Um, all of those things don't apply here. Um, which like I said, could be interesting because then you would really find like, okay, we, we think of this offense as being pretty quarterback friendly once they get up to speed with everything. And we think of it as being a, a dangerous offense. And so you would really find out like, okay, well, what's the value of the offense? If you've got two quarterbacks that are virtually identical. You can't separate them and they both come in and run it kind of equally efficiently. Well, then you're getting a true sense of the offense because you're getting basically replacement level either way with, with the quarterback. But I don't think that's what anyone wants for, for a year one scenario. So, you know, are they both good? I mean, I think they're both just kind of at the same stage and their, their development for, for lack of a better term. And like we were talking about, like I, th- I still think that'll be good enough for Nebraska to do what it wants to do in 2018. Um, but again, we're all just kind of guessing until we can actually uh, actually see it. So you think there, that, that having that rotation won't be an issue? Possibly. I mean, maybe not. It typically doesn't work. But I guess uh, when I look at it, if, if there were a system and a group of, of coaches in terms of the combo of Verduzco and Frost, who... Uh, like my confidence level in them could not be any higher as it pertains to quarterback play. Like if there were a way it could work, I would want it to be under these sort of circumstances. Now that being said, like, I still think, you know, what, what was Frost reasoning today when he mentioned why he hated to come out? Well, he mentioned rhythm, which I think is a big thing. Um, And it's, you know, 
just in terms of a team pulling behind one guy, I think there are leadership elements too, where you would want somebody that, um, even if the team is, you know, invested in both of them, like just somebody who's there when it gets really tough for you, six, seven games in, who was there for you in those tough minutes in uh, games one, two, and three. And that's a really big point. I'm thinking about Purdue right now, and I know it's not, I mean, it wasn't like they they just couldn't decide on a quarterback, so they kept pulling it. A couple guys got injured, but I'm thinking about Elijah Sindelar and David Blau kind of going back and forth, and I'm, I wonder if that season for them last year would have been better if they would have just had one guy going throughout. I guess my question for you is, I mean, has your your expectations for this season, the win total, to put a number on it, has it changed at all over the course of, of this spring? And, I mean, does that is that number going to be influenced by who's playing quarterback? Um, no, I don't think the number will be influenced by who's playing quarterback. I think seeing things for myself, you know, hearing reports both in terms of actual availability and then talking with, with people sort of off the record and things like that – has led me to be a little bit more optimistic than I was coming in. You know, I was probably at, at seven and five ish, like everybody else for the most part, uh, coming out of spring. And, you know, I'm, I don't know if I'm expecting them to go eight and four by any means. It's still a tough schedule, but like that would no longer be the surprise it was to me. It would have been to me in back in January, say. So um, they've made some gains, but I don't, I'm not attributing it to who would be playing quarterback. I was not expecting to be the most conservative on this staff. I've got them as still at six and six. Yeah, it's there. There, uh, when you look at the six and six, makes sense. Like that's that's where it should be. That's where you should start. I think. And then beyond that, then it becomes a a matter of okay. So for the toss up games, whatever you might consider those, you know, Iowa maybe, Northwestern almost certainly, um, perhaps Purdue at home, you know. With what I've seen from the strength and conditioning program, you know, the coaches, of course, are every coach in the country is saying his team got better over the offseason. Um, so do you put more weight in Frost because of he, who is saying it or how he's saying it? I don't know how you can do that. But, you know, I, I do think there's they, they've righted some really easy things that have not been right for Nebraska football in a long time. Um, so that right there probably elevates what that four and eight record and all the stats that go with it um, from, from last season actually were. Um, and so that's kind of how I view where that extra game might be coming from. That makes sense. And, and, and I mean, I, we're both in agreement that, that last year's team just on paper wasn't a four and eight team, just getting them uh, conditioned better and getting them in better shape. I can, I can absolutely see seven. I think I told Greg last podcast, I was at six and a half. I moved up Damn. to six and a half, excuse me. But I, I maybe that's just my own personal biases and not knowing who the quarterback is going to be and now thinking that there could be a quarterback rotation. But let's let's hit on the, the weapons thing because that's another thing that I want to talk about. Frost talked about how they have the weapons to be dangerous as long as the quarterback is efficient, as long as the offense is efficient. And when he's talking about that, obviously they're really good at wide receiver. You've got Stanley, J.D., Mike Williams has gotten rave reviews um, this offseason, and, and then you've got a couple guys like Tyjon and Javon McCoody. And then, you know, we've we've spent a lot of time talking about the running backs. Do you buy that, that they have weapons on weapons on weapons, or do you think that maybe it, there's there's a place that is not as, you know, happy-go-lucky as we're talking about? 
Well, I, I, I buy it because watching, you know, video of Friday's post-practice availability, um, you know, hearing Frost talk about the running backs and seeing him talk about them made me, I mean, I, I, I buy that he feels pretty good about that group for me. Yeah, you can tell me Zigbo is better and Washington's making splash plays. Those are things that I just kind of want to see that group for for myself because what was interesting about today's comments was, um, you know, we've got weapons. Like, well, everyone could point to Nebraska's wide receiver group and say that. Quarterbacks are kind of off on their, their own thing. We've already talked about that. But the running backs, you know, yeah, they brought in some new guys that had the potential to contribute immediately, and they had some returning guys who were good in spots. Uh, but if that is actually, you know, feels like a legitimate weapon, that might be the newest thing to come out of this this second week of fall camp is if they really feel that good about the running backs, okay, well, then, then you're back to talking about, oh, well, maybe we play the quarterback decision a little bit safer if there's a safer decision to be made. I think we had this question in the mailbag Um Talking about the offensive line, and this is this is really what I what I think is is what I what I was trying to hit on with the last question. Does the offensive line play a factor into how effective they can be with their weapons? Because it it, it was a question that got asked, and and I think I answered something to the effect of, yes, the offensive line needs help, but if the running backs are really are really as good as as we're hearing they are, they can help the offensive line too, and 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 you know, provide a, a little bit extra off of last season. So do you think that, that those weapons are good enough to compensate for maybe a, a shaky offensive line or an offensive line that takes a little bit of time to gel? Or do you think, are, are you worried about the who, who's blocking? Because ultimately, if you're going to run well, you've got you to block. Yeah, you, you, you do. Um, and I do think if, if they have upgraded their talent level as a whole at running back, that, that does help. You know, does, does Jonathan Taylor need a 99% perfect block every time he carries the ball or could, you know, for a running back that does like what percentage of that does Jonathan Taylor need to gain the same amount of yards? You know, I mean, talent is obviously, is obviously part of that. So I, I think it helps in that regard. I think the offense itself, if Nebraska can kind of get its tempo under control to where they feel comfortable running it and using it as a, a true weapon rather than, I mean, that's what they want to do, of course. There's going to be some growing pains there. I think that helps the the offensive line. You know, uh, Aaron Sorens is working on a story forthcoming on the website, and I was, I was reading some comments in there, and it was really interesting. We, the, the classic view of Nebraska's offense was that they just ground people to a pulp, right? Like, they leaned on you, they ran the ball, they ran the ball, and by the fourth quarter, you were worn down because teams had just taken such a pummeling. You know, it's it's what Wisconsin does now, and last year's Wisconsin-Nebraska game was perhaps <laughs> the, the ultimate recent example of that. Well, for this one, you know, how often they run plays is part of it, but also moving that defense. So, you know, what's the cumulative effect of – of running a bubble screen to the left that might only gain four yards, but half the defense has to run over there. You come back, run a play 10 seconds later, and it's just a bubble to the right, which might get the same four yards. But then that entire defense has had to run to the opposite sideline. Um, so it, it's kind of – that's not the first thing we think of in terms of the effects of tempo on a defense. Uh, so to hear one of Nebraska's coaches mention it was really interesting to me. I'm always amazed when you talk because I never would have, have thought about it in – that way you know like the, the bubble screens to the to the left and having to to run to one side of the field and then 10 seconds later a bubble to the right and having to run it i've never thought about it 
like that. So I always appreciate uh, the kind of new outlook that you bring to things. <laughs> well, I, I hadn't thought of it. Not only had I not thought of it, I, I'm trying not to spoil the quote for, for Aaron's story. Um, okay. so you'll, you'll eventually, I mean, the, the part about the bubbles is, is not in there, but he's basically talking about moving the offense or moving the defense, you know, just based on what play you call. Um, which in everything I've ever read about spread, no huddle, up tempo, all of that stuff, I don't think I've ever heard anybody mention like, yeah, just look at the distance we can make them cover as well by spreading the field. Um, and I've read a lot about about those kind of offenses. That's interesting. Are you encouraged by just the the? I mean, because Friday Scott talked about how the tempo, just the tempo in the last three practices leading up to the scrimmage was really, really good and right where they want it. And I wrote a story earlier in the week that the tempo is, is picking up. They're starting to figure it out offensively that this can be a weapon for them, uh, that this is something that they can use, that can, they can really wear on people. Are you encouraged by what you've heard in terms of the progress that they've made in that regard? I have because there's really no there's no way to kind of even mentally prepare yourself. I don't think for, for what that's going to be like. So even when, you know, Nebraska learned in December that Scott Frost is going to be their new coach and immediately started doing workouts to get them in shape, to be able to handle it. Like, you know, your story on, on Temple this week was excellent. And it kind of led me in a different path on, on a hot reads item where, you know, I was thinking about Oregon and how Temple wasn't just the pace they went. It was kind of like the lifestyle for that program. And I'm sure they're trying to do that at Nebraska too. And that part of it takes time. Um, you know, you just have, there's, you can, you get better with practice, but it's, it's going to take a while, I think, for that to, to fully set in. So to hear that Frost has mostly been happy, at least with his second week of camp until they got to the scrimmage, was pretty happy with where they're at, I think is a very encouraging sign. Are you worried at all? I've seen this on Twitter a couple times. Um, hearing about the, the three bad snaps that, that Jebbia got in the scrimmage. Are you worried at all about that being being an issue moving forward, seeing as, you know, obviously Michael Decker is not here anymore. Cole Conrad was a guy that, that started last year and then was replaced by Decker. And now he, he I think he seems to be the, 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 the leader in the clubhouse at that center spot. So are you worried about that position? Or do you think that that is more, I think it's just more a product of the tempo and trying to get used to that. I, I would assume that as well. Um, I'm, I'm not ringing any alarm bells yet because we don't know were the bad snaps and that they went over the quarterback's head or were at his ankles or were they just kind of something that disrupted, you know, because some of those sweeps, the wide receiver sweeps, jet sweeps, all that stuff is heavily timing based. If, if you just get something that's a little outside the quarterback's frame, it can, can mess that up. So yeah, how bad were those snaps? I, that part I don't know. So I'm not I'm not too worried about it yet. I'm not ready to to lay that on the center totally um, because it could be that everyone's getting used to to going this fast. Um, so tap the brakes on that one for me at least a little bit. Well, we'll if bad snaps are an issue three games in, uh, then we'll know officially that uh, would have been probably nice to have Decker here, somebody with a little bit uh, more experience. Although I guess he didn't doesn't have that much more experience. Um, than any of their current contenders. I said we were going to hit heavy on quarterbacks, and I feel like we've talked a bunch about uh, everywhere. So let's go to the defense then. Uh, Scott was talking about how Chenander called pretty much a, a, a real game to start this scrimmage. And there were times where the defense just had its way with the offense. 
And I wanted to ask, and I wasn't able to get it in there, but how much of that is the defense being really improved? And how much of that is maybe the offense trying to find its footing? And then later, Scott was was point blank asked, is your defense better run stopping? And he said, yeah, I think we're pretty good. And he said, there are times where the offense, when it's executing, when it's firing on all cylinders, it'll get the better of the defense. And there are also times where runs won't make it out of the backfield. Do you feel good about what you're hearing? Let's let's keep it confined to the front seven. Do you feel good about what you're hearing from the defense in the front half so far through two weeks? I, I have. I think their I think their linebacker group in particular has a chance to to be really strong. Um, you know, it seems like they've got three starters inside linebacker, and and Colin Miller's not far behind. Um, so that that's that's a good development, and I'm I'm really confident in the in the level of of coaching those guys are getting at that position specifically. Outside linebacker, still a little bit more of it. I, I want to see a true difference maker emerge there. So that part, I don't know yet. But to hear that they're, they are getting some, uh, some tackles in the backfield would be a big enough change from, from last season to, I think, have a noticeable difference on, um, on Nebraska's overall numbers. If, if they're able to do, I'm not talking about in terms of the total numbers of tackles for loss, but in what those plays achieved for Chenander in two years at uh, UCF, getting those plays would be would be a big development for Nebraska because they didn't have many last year. Well, you had just you just wrote a story about that too, and there, I mean, like, <laughs> if if every starter on the defense got two this year, they would have more than last year, wouldn't they? Yeah, I'm trying to remember the the exact number, but that's that's about right. I mean, Nebraska ranked 129th in, in tackles for loss per game. Um, not a surprise. That was a very common characteristic of a Bob Diaco defense. We saw at Notre Dame, you can win that way. Uh, if you execute it, it, execute the other areas. So, you know, I'm not, I don't want to put all the blame on, Hey, Hey, tackles for loss are right. Nebraska's defense was so terrible. No, there were, there were many issues. It was interesting. Cause I had to go through drive by drive to like chart that. So it was kind of reliving Nebraska's defensive season and like in the first three or four games, I think they gave up no scoring drives when they get when they got a tackle for loss. And then after I think it was like after Rutgers, so you had the Northern Illinois loss in there, you had lost Oregon, things just fell apart. And now, granted, you, you started playing a Big Ten schedule at that point too, but I came away from that looking. I was like, something happened here. Like they were not as good as they needed to be. But when they were getting tackles for loss, you would expect to be better, and they were, and then all of a sudden they weren't. So if you look at that defense last year, you said at some point this thing just like went off the rails and it was tough for everyone to stay involved. It certainly looked that way from the numbers I was looking at. So let's talk about the secondary then, because if you're getting tackles for loss and you're getting pressure in the backfield and you're, you're creating chaos at the line of scrimmage, when the offense is calling up passing plays, that, that just – that chaos, that element of chaos can can absolutely have a positive effect on the secondary and, and your productivity in the secondary. And and coming into the fall, Scott said he, he wasn't, I mean, he was concerned with the secondary. And Shenander said he wasn't very confident leaving the spring in that defensive backfield. And now it seems that, that they're starting to, to get it. And it seems that they're starting, the coaching staff is starting to gain a little bit more confidence in that secondary. It, can, can they be helped Will they be helped by by a, a better defensive front, or do you think there, there's going to be just straight improvement 
by that unit because they just got that much better? Oh, I think I think there's a chance they could have both. You know, based on our on on the latest reports, when you look at that safety spot, man, there's going to be some good players that <laughs> that are going to have a hard time finding snaps. It sounds like you know, with with Frost's comments Friday about you know we want to have at least a two deep, um, but it didn't sound like if they had a four deep, they're going to be that. You know, they're not going to play four guys at safety just to to play four guys at, at one safety spot. So. That's that's good. That elevates, I think, the overall level of that group, or at least it should. But yeah, this all like, of course, snaps together. So when I think of Nebraska's defense, secondary is still a question mark. Like if if you're asking those guys to to physically win one on one, which the secondary is probably asked to do that as much as any spot on the defense, I still have questions based on what we've seen. But if you're better overall as a team, you can you can help them with that. And I think the real key here is like defensive. We talk about offensive efficiency, but defensive efficiency is is so big too. Just the value of putting teams in passing situations should really boost all of your all, all of your statistical categories. So if Nebraska can just do that, if they can just keep teams off schedule a little bit, if they can win first down when it should be pretty much a a, a neutral field between offense and defense. Then all of a sudden you're playing from an advantageous position in the second and third, third down, and you should win those. Those are those are situations that that favor the defense if you if you get a stop on first down. So you could take the exact same defense from Nebraska last year and have everybody make no improvements, no new additions. And if you had just did that, the numbers are going to be better. And and I think they will get that. I don't know how, to what degree, but but that efficiency I think will be better. I don't have the numbers right in front of me, but I th- I would venture to say Nebraska wasn't very good at at keeping teams off schedule in first down. If I remember correctly, I mean, I, I'm trying to remember because I've looked at these numbers before. They were pretty bad at that last year, and I think Central Florida was, I mean, they weren't a, a great team because their defense wasn't elite statistically, but I think Central Florida was better. So I'm curious if, if even just a scheme change stylistically, if being more aggressive and, and being you know, wanting to, to get hats to the football like Scott talked about today will yeah. we'll change that. Um, let's kind of tie this all back up. We, we had a question, another question in the mailbag that, that asked, if there's one position group that you need to carry the team this year, and that's they either have to show up every week uh, to carry the team or they have to not be terrible every single week, what position group is it? And I think the the initial response for all of us was all the well the quarterback yeah i answered cornerback this the the secondary what was your answer i would probably go with uh offensive line uh, because for a lot of the reasons that we've talked here like feel good about the the weapons outside of quarterback i feel we feel to some degree that the level of quarterback play should be pretty good no matter who it is. So then that offensively puts kind of the big question mark on the offensive line. And and I think if Nebraska had an offensive line that was just okay, that that kind of allowed them to do those things, you might have a UCF in 2016 type year where that offense took a big jump from where it was at, but was nowhere near what, what it would be in 2017. The offensive line is better than that, and we have heard the coaches say on numerous occasions that 
the big difference between what they inherited at UCF and at Nebraska is the quality, overall quality of the offensive line. Then you start getting into, well, here's how they could maybe get to eight and four from six and six, which still on paper doesn't make a ton of sense. That's kind of feels like the most optimistic you win every toss up game. But if you, if your offensive line is better, uh, maybe, maybe those become less toss ups. We're, uh, we're recording this on a Friday, Friday afternoon and fan day is tomorrow, Saturday. Uh, fans will get the chance to see Nebraska's players and get interviews. Brandon, or not interviews, autographs. We will be doing interviews. Brandon, what is the uh, what was the first autograph you got as a kid? First, okay. Um, the the first one I remember getting. So I used to. Um, I, I grew up in the. I was a young child in the '80s and entered my teenage years in the early '90s. Um, just for for reference, I used to send index cards to professional athletes like I don't remember where I would find the addresses but so I took an index card you know just radio three by five and like hand drew Chicago Bulls logo on it uh, with marker and sent it to BJ Armstrong uh, former Bulls guard and he sent it back to me it happened to arrive on my birthday Uh, so I open up this card from the Chicago Bulls or open this envelope from the Chicago Bulls and there's my card with BJ Armstrong signature on it and like a Bulls bumper sticker and some other stuff. Um, I got a couple back that way, but that one I specifically remember because I was like, I'm going to get BJ Armstrong's autograph and, uh, and it happened. So that's amazing. (laughs) I think I, I got Andre Dawson, former Cub MVP autograph that way as well. Uh, that one was a bigger get. So you're just searching. Was the internet a thing at that time? No, no. Um, How did you find these addresses then? I, I, do, I don't remember other than I think – so what I think – piecing it together, reconstructing this, I'm guessing this is probably something that came from like Sports Illustrated for kids where they're like, hey, this is a thing that you can do and sometimes might work. Um, <laughs> so, so I tried it. And it did work, but as for where I got the addresses, I, I don't know. Um, how do you, in 19, probably would have been like 92, just send a piece of mail to the Chicago Bulls? Um, I, I, don't, I don't remember. The internet has wiped that part of my memory. Spent a lot of time sitting and looking through yellow pages, I guess. It, it might have been. I probably might have gone to the school library. Maybe they had like some giant compendium of, uh, of addresses, but... It's amazing. I can't. I can't remember the first autograph that I ever got. I think the. I know the first um, Oklahoma City Thunder autograph I got was Reggie Jackson, and I remember that because I got it the season before uh, he got traded to Detroit when he turned into kind of a punk. <laughs> um, and I had. I got him, and I got Kendrick Perkins, and Reggie got traded, and Perkins got traded at the exact same time. And I have no other Thunder autographs. <laughs> it's the curse. It's the curse of uh, of the Derek P- Derek Peterson autograph. It is a little upsetting. Um, well, maybe you can use that to your effect if you feel like you need to uh, to clean up the Thunder's roster at any point in the, uh, yeah. in the future. <laughs> I also, actually, now that I'm thinking about the timeline, I may have screwed things up. I may have gotten Shaq's autograph first. Um, that I did not send a piece of mail to the Orlando Magic. The Orlando Magic played Minnesota in an exhibition game in Rapid City, South Dakota. Um, and I went to that. That was the year that he and Christian Leitner came out. And 
played and then I was just like standing by the locker room after the game and Shaq came out in a full length black leather uh, jacket with a Superman logo on back. He was the big, biggest person I'd ever seen in my life to that point and like grabbed my program, signed it on the Minnesota Timberwolves page, Shaq. Um, so I have that somewhere too. But Incredible. BJ Armstrong well, meant more. Incredible. I think I also have, now that I remember, now that I'm thinking about it, I think I also have uh, a couple autographs from Houston Astros players, like a season or two before they won the World Series. Because weren't they like just absolutely terrible? Yes. Before they won the World Series? Yes. And I don't, I don't, re- I don't remember enough of um, like if that was was part of the plan. I, I, I feel like it was. Like you know, they were uh, they were engineering their own process there, um, but it worked. I've never been to Houston's ballpark. I've heard it's pretty great though. I have not been either. I don't think I've ever been to a baseball, like a, a professional baseball ballpark. The only baseball park I've been to is the one in Bricktown, Oklahoma City. Which is also a good one. I haven't been there, but I've, I've, I've heard, and it, it looks amazing. We, we've got to get you to Wrigley one of these uh, Big Ten media days. Yes. Well, I think we just need to stay in Chicago for a lot longer than we do. <laughs> like, that, we that, should just make a week out of it. That would be good. Such a staff retreat. It would have worked well this time because uh, the start of fall camp was a little bit delayed. So, Or at least there was more space there. So I've taken note on that. All I'm saying is we have the chance to do that when we go to Northwestern this year. Just make a week trip out of it. <laughs> well, if we're going to do that, then we'll just uh, we'll get we'll we'll go to Wisconsin, get a cabin like somewhere on Lake Michigan, and just stay there for that full week. We'll just go to Northwestern's practices and and cover those because those games are back to back. We could enjoy their practice facility too. I think they should just play all of their games inside their practice facility. <laughs> Fig- figure like- out the fan. The, the fan attendance at a, at a later date. That would that would be interesting to see if they would draw more, uh, just sort of standing room only crowd. I, you know, I don't like to to crap on teams and for attendance figures. You know, for Northwestern, there are always a ton of Nebraska fans there. But I like that stadium. Like it's it's small, it's old school, it's grass for one thing. Um, I, I enjoy going to Northwestern games. Brandon, before we close this out, um, I don't know if you've given a quarterback prediction. So I want to get your prediction on who who wins the starting job. Yeah, I was I was at I was at Martinez um, today. Kind of changed things a little bit for me now. At this point, I I, I think it'll be I think it'll be Jebbia for for game one. Um, it, and it's funny how fast this changed. Somebody asked me the other day. Do you think the game one starter will be different than game twelve? I said no. I didn't think there was kind of the incentive to do that in a year one scenario but with what coach frost said on friday it's leading me to think that they might they might go jebbia uh if if he can prove to be if if his experience edge as small as it may be proves to be a difference i think they go that way so you're kind of right where i am has the length of the competition just just the sheer amount of time that this has spanned has that helped tristan Probably, uh, you know, I, I kind of came into it looking as you're going to have to beat out Tristan because all of the things that Frost attributed him to, to him today um, sort of were what we all attributed to him. But to hear it, hear it again here in the fall and here happening now makes you think, OK, so those those impressions that people kind of had and at some point they were even assumptions are, are close to being true. Um, 
he's you're you're gonna have to go out and prove you can do the things not just the things that he can't do but not do the things that he doesn't do in terms of well turning the ball over those sorts of things um so the longer it goes on yes i think it makes it even more uh favored tristan jebbia just because he's got that sort of built-in edge of just being a little bit a little bit i don't want to use the word savvier so i'll just use experience again it's it's a small edge but it's still an edge there yeah it's it's game experience and and famous words from bob diaco is game experience is everything so uh we will podcast again next friday and hopefully i would assume by that point we have a decision on the quarterback scott said that they are going to start doing some akron prep next friday and saturday so maybe we'll get a an announcement at least a either we're going with one guy or we're gonna for sure go with two guys in the in the open yeah. by that point so uh, keep it with us until then on hailvarsity.com. There's a ton of stuff for you to read up from this week. Uh, Brandon plugged a bunch of stuff. Aaron's going to have some stuff over the weekend. We just, there's too much stuff to really run through because football season is back and we've got a lot of content. So, uh, keep that page bookmarked and make sure you're reading us every day. And also we're running a, a promo right now. I almost forgot to do this, but if you sign up for the online and print bundle for hail varsity you can get a t-shirt free and you can get either what is it the black shirts and the johnny rogers touchdown run that brandon vogel himself designed (laughs) i just helped uh it was aaron's concept i I helped a little bit in terms of uh making sure that we had all the not all exact all of the weird ways that Johnny made players miss on that run, we got at least some of those in there. So that was my contribution. Well, it is an amazing t-shirt, and it's free. Um, so sign up for Hail Varsity if you have not already. And I'll link to, the, the, link to the, the store page in the description on our site. So make sure you do that. Brandon, it was fun. Thanks for giving me some time. Yes, thank you. Another week fall camp down. Yep two to go i think yeah two to go i keep running out messing up the days so all right guys thanks for listening and talk soon